Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from the Farnham U3A World History Group. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A World History Group, nor the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. In the third of our short talks on transport, Richard Thomas tells us about the camel, the ship of the desert, and how important it has been throughout history, enabling both the movement of goods and cultures. Now, some of you heard me talking about the Portuguese and their efforts to get around the west coast of Africa so that they could join in the gold and the slave trade with Africa as well as go further on and then join in with the spice trade to Asia. The reason they had to get around was they couldn't go across the Sahara and the Middle East because that was run by the Arabs and the Moors who were already going across the desert and across to Asia using the ships of the desert, the camel. It was also shipping slaves, salt and gold across the Sahara and shipping spices from the Middle East and further on into Asia. And Constantinople was the main hub of what they were doing. The Silk Road, the Silk Route, was the route from Central Asia, from China, via Samarkand, to places on the eastern edge of Europe. And the main Silk Routes were around 4,000 miles long. Their main function was to join China and Europe in trade. And Asian camels were the vehicle, literally and metaphorically, to achieve this. And the Asian camels are the two-humped Bactrian camels, and they crossed many deserts and high passes on their way to Europe from China. And camel trains along the Silk Road could consist of a thousand camels, which could walk 25 miles a day, carrying over 300 pounds in weight. And the round trip could, not very surprisingly, take over a year. Now, this regular historical trade, which got silks and spices into Europe. It was disrupted in 1453, a well-known date, when the Ottomans defeated Byzantium and ended the direct trade between China and the West. Now, trade carried on, of course, but they, the Ottomans, not Byzantium, not Europeans, not Christians, now controlled the overland trade. And meanwhile, get back to my opening line, the Portuguese, having got to India by around 1500, established their own links with China and the Spice Islands, and they developed an alternative sea route. But the land route was still dependent on the camels, rather than the much more elegant but less tough horse, and they were particularly important and useful in hot, and certainly in desert conditions, such as the Sahara, the Middle East, and some of the deserts of Central Asia. Now, some background facts about the camel. 94% of them, very precise, more or less accurate, are the one-humped dromedary, and the other 6% are the Bactrian who live in Central Asia. Both of them can be domesticated, but it's the dromedary that dominates the story in history and that I'm about to tell. Both the dromedary and the Bactrian are true camels. They are related to 
but not the same as the Latin American camelids, which if you've been to Argentina and Chile and so on, you will have seen llamas, alpacas. They can live to 40 or 50 years, have a top speed of around 40 miles an hour. They can drink 200 litres of water in three minutes and then go with that water for 10 days. And their humps aren't like tanks or sloshing around. They're fatty tissue which, when it's metabolised, releases water into the beast. They're thick coat which protects them from extreme heat and cold. The outer hair, which is fairly waterproof, can and is used for tents, clothing, bedding and blankets. I actually have at home, I should have brought it, a camel hair blanket that I brought back from Oman. It's not very comfortable for sitting on, but it's all right in the garden. The finer inner hair was used for clothing and was quite popular in the West in the 18th and 19th century. Camel hair coats are, I believe, still quite fashionable. It's not really known when they were domesticated, but it was hundreds of years BC, and they've been used in cross-desert trade for 3,000 years approximately. Trade goods carried by camel facilitated cultural exchange and in a sense, one of the reasons why civilization in quotation marks, developed in Mesopotamia was thanks to the camel, because it brought in ideas from everywhere else. The distribution of camels around the world, from the coast Mauritania, through the Sahel, through Saudi Arabia, through parts of India, and up into China. The desert strip across the middle of the globe is where most camels operate and have operated for thousands of years. Now, Namibia, has a few, but they're mainly used for tourist purposes. It's impossible to say how many there are in each country, but it is reckoned that there are over six million in Somalia. That is the main form of transport, many parts of Somalia, and northern Kenya and parts of Ethiopia. And they're reckoned to be three million in Sudan, again, north and south, but particularly in the north. There are also, supposedly, a million in Australia. They were taken there to use as a transportation across the desert, an important part of opening up the desert interior. They've stopped being used and they're mostly feral, i.e. wild. And they're also a nuisance, they have an annual cull of them. Now, we've seen that they can be used as pack animals carrying stuff across the various deserts, but they're also used in warfare. It is well known that in the 6th century BC, Cyrus of Persia used camels as pack animals, but then turned them into cavalry when he learned that the horses so disliked the smell and appearance of camels that they panicked and ran away. So that enabled him to win his battle. And by bringing them forward as part of his attack, he defeated the superior Lydian forces under King Croesus. Later on, Herodotus noted that the Libyans had perhaps 20,000 mounted camelry. Camelry is the posh word for camel cavalry. Trajan, around 100 BC, used camel-mounted forces to protect the southern borders of the Roman Empire in North Africa. And that is what they've been used for in North Africa almost ever since and other parts of the world. They're slow, and, but they're tough and they keep going for a long time. They can be used to protect the borders of various countries, even today. Camels were also a vital part of the expansion of Islam. Muhammad used camels around the Middle East and across North Africa, and they were ingredients in the spread of Islam across North Africa, then across the Sahara. Traders bought trade goods, but also from the 8th century, they bought Islam, not always peacefully. 
They spread across the Sahara into places like northern Nigeria in around the 12th, 13th centuries. And without the camel, this expansion would have been much delayed and indeed might never have happened. They moved across and then moved down various trade routes, which are still there, still crossed by camel trains today. We sort of rush forward to the last century. They were used extensively in World War. You will have all seen Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif coming through the shimmering desert, starting as a little blob and gradually coming. But that's how they travelled across the parts of Saudi Arabia that was being fought over. And they were official. I mean, the Ottoman Camel Corps, Beersheba, in 1915, this was a military regiment of the Ottoman forces. Bringing the story even further forward, there were camel units in the Second World War, and indeed, mounted camel units still operate in the Sahel today. Doing what I said earlier, what Trajan did was to protecting the edges of the kingdom. And even in the deserts of India, they're still used for border controls. They are brilliant in these very rough, very dry, very nasty conditions. They just keep going. So they are worth having in these border patrol type. You don't need petrol, you don't need mechanics, you just need occasional bits of water and some hay. So they are still used in these sort of frontier centres. Republic Day India, the camel-mounted military band. I don't know that I would associate camels with military bands because they can't march with precision. So, and the, the musicians will be waving about, but hopefully their music sounds not too bad. But the point is that this is not 100 years ago. They still do this. Now, as a complete aside, some of you have been in U3A for a long time, and you may remember Reg Thompson, who was the audiovisual wizard. Now, I worked with Reg at the castle in the 1970s, and Reg started his life in the Second World War as an officer in the Sudan Camel Corps, the British Army major, I think he was captain, captain in the camp. Then he went on to be a colonial officer in Zambia, and he came to work at the castle to tell us all about it. So uh, there is a link with Farnham and the Camel Corps of Sudan. Now, what else do camels do? Well, their camels race. Camel racing is very popular in Australia, very popular in parts of the Gulf, in many other places in the Middle East, Man, for example. It's an exciting sport. It's a very expensive sport, which encourages serious amounts of gambling. It's almost like polo, you know, it's for posh people. You get your racing camel, you get your young jockey. And the problem is the scandal of children. They're 10-year-old, and they're virtually kidnapped and treated like slaves. Their job is to steer the camel in the more or less the right direction. They don't do much else. What's interesting nowadays, they have robots on the back. Presumably somebody is giving instructions to the robot. But the scandal of child jockeys has had an impact on camel racing. And you kind of would have thought, well, it would have finished it off, but it hasn't. People have adjusted. Salt caravans, which have been going for at least 2,000 years across the Sahara, are still doing it. I have seen camels laden with salt because not very far north of the border with Nigeria, there's a whole valley that is solid salt. There's a village made of salt. It's from a few million years ago when it was a lake. And it's gradually dried out, and so they're tens of feet thick, solid salt, which they chip into slabs, strap on the side of the camel, and walk across the Sahara. Now, of course, in a desert, salt is an extremely valuable commodity. So salt plus slaves plus gold kept the Sahara trade going and still keeps it going. Well, not so many slaves as used to be, but 
Let us not relax too much and pretend that's all finished either, but salt certainly is transported across. Now, I've been to a camel park, camel market in Kano, a camel park waiting to collect their goods and off they go, and realised that they don't smell very nice and they do spit and they're not very friendly, so I didn't get too close. But I've been in the encroaching storm in northern Nigeria, the Harmattan, the sand storm that blows across. And about once a year in Britain in the summer, the weather forecasters say, all that sand is coming up from the Sahara, which it is every few days over two or three months. It blows south and covers everything throughout Nigeria. And if you're in the middle of one, it's not that you can't survive, but if you're in a house absolutely squeaky tight, every single door, window, opening, sealed up, stuck with tape, and you've still got a thick film of sand and dust after the storm's gone through. Impossible to keep them out. I think we've established then that camels are useful for transport, for warfare, to scare away horses and for tents and blankets and camel hair coats. It's also very useful as a source of food. Its milk is rich and can be used to make cheeses. It can also, apparently, by those who are lactose intolerant. Camels are a source of meat and the younger, fresher pieces of camel meat taste like a cross between veal and chicken. It's not apparently fully halal, but it is allowed to be eaten in Muslim areas, and camel milk is okay for Muslims. Interestingly, Jews are not supposed to eat it because it is not completely kosher, nor are Ethiopian Christians supposed to eat camel meat, but they do because it's there and it's available. So to finish with an anecdote, I was running a small development project in the hills of southern Oman, in the early 1980s, quite a long time ago, shortly after the Sultan's forces had defeated the Yemeni rebels. We were pausing for lunch in what was almost a classic Bojest fort, you know, the battlements made of sand and so on, in the Jebel, which is the word for mountainous desert. And I was eating this delightful tender meat, part of a beautiful stew. And I turned to my Omani colleague and said, what is this, what is this really excellent tasty meat? He said, you remember that baby camel that went by a few hours ago? <laughs> and for some reason, I could not eat any more at all. So there we are. A versatile animal made a major contribution to the development of civilization, the development of trade, particularly in parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, and the dry parts of Asia. Thank you. This podcast has been produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening to this talk.